Amen. Now, at some ungodly hour this morning, a, uh, a group of 17 folks from our church met here, and uh, I think it was 3.15, and they set off for JFK, and uh, right now they are probably making their descent, the plane is, into the Dominican Republic, where they will be uh, working there on a number of different projects through the course of this week. Um, Someone asked me yesterday if I was going to come and pray with them. As you know, it'd be nice if the pastor was there. And I mentioned the fact that Charlotte's going. There will be a pastor there, so <laughs> they are totally adequately covered without my help. Uh, so, <laughs> but but they're going down there. Um, and, and and one of the things, seriously, to pray, if you would just keep in prayer, is that um, you know for their health, um, because. Um, you know, they are not going to be in a, they're staying in, in, a, in, in a hotel resort place. They'll be good. But they're going to be working amongst folks which will not be in sanitized environments. So do pray for them that they'll be kept safe. And then, uh, you know, the, the protocol down there is that within three days of traveling home, you've got to test negative for COVID or else you can't fly home. And you've got to stay there another 10 days. Um, and, and quarantined in your hotel room. So please do pray for them and pray that everybody stays well and pray they stay safe and pray they get back home Saturday, not 10 days later, right? Because Jill and I were down there recently. We went on vacation. Please don't think badly of us. Um, but we were down there on vacation and we had to do the same. And as soon as we arrived at the resort, they said, you might want to book your appointment for your COVID test so you get home. And I thought that's a good idea. So I went and, and we went and we booked the test and then 48 hours before we were due to fly home, we got the test and then they said, we'll have the results in about 20 minutes. And I've got to tell you this, you know, there were a few anxious thoughts went through my mind in those 20 minutes. Like, what if? I feel fine, but what if? And um, I just don't like not knowing. People have called me a control freak, and that's not nice. But, um, but I don't like not knowing, because the, the very thought of being confined to one room for 10 days, it's like, if you know me, you know, you know, that's just going to be purgatory. And, and, and for that brief period of time, till we went and got the results, they said, everything's good, gave us the papers, and it was like, thank God for that. I don't like not knowing. Not knowing is what I want to talk about this morning. We're continuing our teaching series called Sola Gratia, which means grace alone, and looking through the, the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And uh, I actually want to kind of take up where we left off last week. The whole point of Galatians is reminding these Christians that their faith in Christ alone is sufficient for their eternal salvation, and the deal is done when you commit your life to Jesus. That's the message of the book. Now, the problem is there were people who were really pushing the believers there and saying, no, but you've got to do this and you've got to keep these Old Testament rules and you've got to make sure you're up to this kind of standard. And that kind of teaching has continued from New Testament days to this day. And some of you grew up with that. 
It was ingrained into you that you've got to do different things to please God and you've got to do different things to make up for, 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 for your sins or, 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 or for stuff you've done wrong. You've, you've got to do certain things or else God's not going to be pleased, else God's not going to accept you. And, and the whole point of Galatians is to let these believers know what Jesus did was totally enough. And, and, and as we've gone through this book these last weeks, that's a point I've been making over and over again. And one or two of you might be yawning now and say somebody changed the record. But you know what? The whole point of this book is to, is, is to continue to labor it to make sure everybody's got it. I would not want a single person in this place or watching us this morning to be in a position where you think, well, I've trusted Jesus and I hope I make heaven. Because that's not it. So what I want to do today is I'm going to pick up towards the end of Galatians 3, where we were last Sunday morning, and go into Galatians 4. And I called this morning's teaching, Discovering Who You Are. Discovering Who You Are. And there are four statements that I've drawn from these verses that remind us of who we are. No need for uncertainty. And the first of them is this. I am a son of God. I am a son of God. So in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, it says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so the Apostle is saying to all these believers throughout these churches, in Galatia was actually Turkey as we know it nowadays, he is saying to all these believers, I want you to really get a hold of this, you are sons of God. And, and it's, it's just those first few words that I just want to underline for you this morning, you are sons of God, not hoping to be, not one day will become, but you are sons of God. Over in John's uh, first epistle, it tells us this, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, beloved, now we are sons of God. Have you got it? Now we are sons of God. I took this in the King James Version because it expresses that first bit best. So let's do some old English. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We don't know how it's all going to be in the future, but here's what we know for now. Now we are sons of God. Forget the idea of Peter waiting at the pearly gates doing roll call. Forget the idea. Forget you leave this life and you arrive and there's a podium there with a weird looking person, whether it's Peter or an angel or whatever, and they're checking the list. Checking it twice for some of us. Yeah. Really? You made it? Okay. All right. But forget that idea. There's a song that was old when I was first became a believer, so it's an old, old song. You know what it says? It says, the old account was settled long ago. And when I leave this earth, it won't be a case of, I hope then the account's all balanced. The fact is, my account was settled long ago. 
And if you trusted Christ as your Savior, your account was settled long ago. In fact, it was paid in full over 2,000 years ago. There's no waiting room. A friend of mine years ago was moving to Australia. He had been asked to go to Australia and become the principal of a Bible college there. And uh, he was leaving the UK to go to Australia. And I was talking to him and said, how long a flight is that? And he said, we're not flying. We're going by ship. I said, how long is that? And I forget now. It was weeks, of course, to get there. So I said, why didn't you go the quick way? And he said, because when you go by boat, your body gets a chance to adjust as you go there rather than be suddenly put into a whole different time zone that's 13 or 14 hours difference. It gives you time to adjust. He said, we want to take our time to ease into it. We want to go steady. Listen, I want to tell you this. The day you and I leave this earth... It won't be a case of, okay, let's just take a slow journey that one day might end up in heaven. You know what the Bible says? It says, I leave here, I'm there. I leave, I, I'm there. I don't have to show a ticket because the old account was settled long ago, right? I don't have to prove it. I don't have to, like, I don't have to listen to the list of all the things that I still didn't get right after I trusted Christ as my Savior because you know why? Because the blood of Jesus covers them as well. Don't have to see if I match up. Now we are the sons of God. Unchangeably, irrevocably, unmistakably, eternally, we are the sons of God. Uh, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The devil wants you living in uncertainty. The devil wants you living in fear. That's his speciality. But the reality is Jesus wants you to live with confidence and with assurance. Hey, there are even people who want to kind of, you know, they, they, they want to kind of have you living in fear as well. There are pastors, there are priests who want to control you. But, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. Good. I'm going to read that again. And um, I heard two whispers of amen from where I am. But, but we're going to say, because I thought then maybe I'm talking for all of us who know the Lord here today, right? So, um, so here we go. You ready? We know that we have passed from death to life. Amen. So important to grasp that. I have passed from death to life. It's a done deal. I am a child of God. Right here, right now, nothing can change that fact. That's the truth that he's trying to get across to them. Now, how do I know that I'm a child of God? Well, I'll tell you the first reason I know. In John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12, it says this. To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right, how do I know I'm a child of God? Because that's what the Bible says, and I trust it. I want to tell you this. I hung my life and my eternity on that self-same verse almost 60 years ago. 
And from that day to this day, I am trusting in what Jesus said there, that for those who believe in Him, they become the children of God. And the second reason I believe it is over in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. It says this, God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. And it's like, you know how I know it? Because every now and again, I feel like the Holy Spirit gives me a hug and says, you're my child. Every now and again. All right? It's like, it's, it's, it's like a parent with a child. You're not hugging them 24-7. In fact, if you're a teenager, good luck getting a hug. But, you know, um, I mean, if your kids are teenagers. But, but the fact is this. Every now and again, I just feel the inward voice of the Holy Spirit it says it's all good because you're his child and he's your father. Knowing who we are, I am a son of God. That's the first thing that's here at the end of Galatians chapter 3, to take away any uncertainty. I am a child of God. The second thing is this. It's a weird expression, but it's there. I am clothed with Christ. It's an interesting phrase, right? I am clothed with Christ. Verse 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So Paul there talks about their baptism and talks about the connection there of being clothed with Christ. And the, the fact is this, actually, while baptism is a, is a very much a New Testament thing for believers, before that, baptism was a significant part. If someone who was not Jewish, was a Gentile, wanted to convert to the Jewish faith, then baptism was one of the requirements. In fact, there were three requirements. If a man wanted to, become a, to convert to the Jewish faith, he had to be circumcised, he had to be baptized, and he had to bring an offering to the temple. There were those three things. And baptism was very clearly set out how it happened. Before he was baptized, there were two things he had to do. Cut his nails. Don't ask me. I'm just telling you what's there, right? He had to cut his nails and cut his hair in preparation for baptism. And then baptism was not a whole public thing. Baptism took place in front of three of the spiritual leaders from the synagogue. And it was three men who'd be there when a, when a man got baptized because if you were going to be baptized into the Jewish faith, you were baptized naked. Yeah, can you see this? Guys, yeah, you want to become one of us? You want to be Jewish? You've got to get circumcised and then baptized naked, right? I mean, you can see them lining up for that, can't you? Because the idea was the water should touch every part of their body as they were baptized. And as they were being baptized, then, then scriptures would be read to them, prayers would be offered over them, and when they came out of the water, a robe would be put around them. And in Christian baptism, it became the norm that when you were going to get baptized, you wore a white robe. 
So in baptism, you were clothed with the white robe, and the picture was of being clothed with Christ. Now, baptism in the New Testament was generally a thing that followed very, very quickly after salvation. Nowadays, sometimes we, there's quite a lapse, and there might be a lapse of months, there might be a lapse of years, but in those days, it was like often the same day, the same day you came to put your trust in Jesus, that day you, were, you, you actually were baptized. So they were very closely connected. So Paul says to these Galatian believers, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I am clothed with Christ. Now, our clothes kind of say something about us, don't they? Just be nice, don't say, okay. So, so they, they do. Our clothes are part of our expression of us and of how we are and of who we are. And um, I don't know, cause, probably because I was a teenager in the 60s when everything changed, in, you know, including fashion. I, I've tried to stay, I try to stay vaguely relevant in how I dress without being ridiculous. I said, be nice. <laughs> right? I was, I was, I don't know when, a while back now, I was in Gap, and um, they had some ripped jeans. And I looked at the ripped jeans, they were in my size. Now, now here's what I often do when I, when I think about what I'm going to wear. Our son has been a designer in the fashion industry for, what, 25 years now. So often, if I'm thinking of buying a particular piece of clothing, I'll take a picture and send it to him and say, can I wear this? <laughs> right? Right? Because we all know the 70-year-old guy who dresses like he's 25 and looks pathetic, right? Don't say anything. Right? Right? So, 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 so I'll send him a picture and say, can I wear these? And, and he'll say, yes or no, you know? So I send him a picture of the ripped jeans. Can I wear these? He says, of course you can. So I buy my ripped jeans. And then one day I'm getting ready to come down here during the week and uh, I put on my ripped jeans and a hoodie and, and I think, <laughs> I'm good. And my wonderful wife said to me, oh, we're going dressed as a teenager today, are we? <laughs> Lord. Yeah, God knows I try. <laughs> but, but our clothes do say something about us. By the way, my apologies to those of you who, who, who really got distracted from my teaching last Sunday because you were trying to work out because my t-shirt said hell in the middle and you couldn't work out what the heck was going on, right? So um, it did say within a yard of hell uh, and it was a quote from a missionary C.T. Studd someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. If you're distracted because I've got the skull and crossbones in the middle of my t-shirt today, uh, this one says, Worst Souls Club. And it's based on a quote from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who told his evangelists, go straight for souls and go for the worst. Worst Souls Club. Right? So that's today, just in case you were getting distracted. Okay, so. 
Anyway, back to, back to, let's go back to Galatians and being clothed with Christ. Just the fact that clothes, that clothes say something about us and they're kind of an expression as our, of our identity. And, and what the Bible is teaching us here is this. However we may be and whoever we may be, when we belong to Jesus, our primary identity is we are clothed with Christ. Our primary identity is that we are in Christ. In, in fact, Paul writes a letter to the Colossian believers. And uh, in, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, his introduction goes like this. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. And it's interesting there, he talks about them in two ways. You are in Christ and you are in Colossae. They were Colossians. They lived in that particular city, but their primary identity was they were in Christ. So I'm, I'm here today, and I'm, you know, I'm blessed by the fact, and I'm proud to, by the, of the fact that I'm an American. I'm happy about that. I love this country. I think it's a fantastic country. I think it's a wonderful country. I'm proud to be an American. But that's not my primary identity. And my primary identity isn't there's a bit of English in the middle somewhere. That's not my primary identity. You know what my primary identity is? I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And, and the, Paul's writing to these Galatian believers, and, and I believe what God wants us just to be reminded of here again this Sunday morning is this. When you've trusted Jesus, you are already in Christ. That is your primary identity. That is who you are. So, in the book of Genesis, you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? So you've got Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 2.25, it says this. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame, right? And then they sinned, right? So they ate what they were not meant to eat. And here's what it says happened. Immediately they sinned. Verse, chapter 3 and verse 7 of Genesis. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As soon as sin came, shame came, and they needed a covering. I want to tell you this. We have a covering today that covers all of our shame. We are clothed with Christ. All of our past, all of our missteps, all of our sins, even the most terrible of things, we are clothed, we are covered by Jesus Christ. And all of our shame is hidden by Him. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, and our identity covers all of our shame. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen, there's not one single person listening to me right now that needs to dwell on the shame of the past. 
Because through faith in Christ, He covers that shame. He covers that. Not one person here today who should feel as if they're inferior to anybody else or second to anybody else because of your history, because of your background, because of your past. In fact, let's develop that thought and go to the next thing. Okay, so, so I am a son of God. I am clothed with Christ. And the third thing I want to point out from these verses is this. I am valued. In the Jewish morning prayer that Paul would have prayed every day of his life when he was a committed Jew, there is this statement. The Jew thanked God. I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Sorry. Okay, this is going somewhere good, ladies. Don't get... Okay. No, but that's how they pray. And, and what, what I'm saying is in Judaism, there was an absolute disdain for people who were not Jewish, Gentiles, for people who were not of their social standing. If somebody was a slave, they didn't count them as anything. And there was a total disdain for women. And that's the way it was. I mentioned that last week. So women were of no value, whatever. In fact, if you came to a situation where a family's inheritance was going to be shared, the woman got nothing. The oldest son got 90-odd percent of everything. Women counted for nothing. And then Jesus came. And then Jesus came. And this is why I mentioned last Sunday, don't be too swift to change the statement that we are sons of God into we are children of God. Because Paul was making a huge statement when he said that. And what he was doing with that statement, saying we are sons of God, was saying this. He was saying, yeah, you guys, we're sons of God. But you ladies, you are elevated in Jesus Christ, and now you are of equal value, equal worth, equal ranking, and you are in the position of sons as well. That's such an important point. Galatians 3.29, since you are Christ's family, sorry, let me get the right one here. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That means from a racial perspective. That means from a social standing perspective. That means from a gender perspective. We are all one in Christ Jesus. No one person's an inch above anybody else. All one. That's part of the miracle of what Jesus has done. I was doing some online training the other day because of the work I do uh, from time to time for, for WW International. And uh, we, we, were, we were doing this, uh, and a lot of you will have done it, I'm sure, this kind of identity training stuff, right? So we appreciate other people's identities and everything else and went through all this online stuff, this rigmarole. And um, here's the thing. The online course has not been written 
that will actually create a oneness and an equal valuing of every person around you. You can't do that through a change of mind. You've got to do it through a change of heart. And the only person who does changes of heart is Jesus. But he does it really good. Really good. So as you look around this morning, here's the deal. There's not a single person in this room who is, who is more favored by God or deserving of God's blessing than you are. You may say, well, I'm, I'm kind of new around here and I haven't been here that long. There are people here who've been here since 1936. And, they, and, and, and you know what? They, they, some of us look like we have, right? So... Uh, and, and, and they know the Bible insides out, and I don't know much, and I'm, I'm still a bit hit and miss here with stuff, but I want to tell you, the newest believer in this place is of equal value before God than the most seasoned Christian that there is. And, and I'm going to tell you this as well. If you have not yet come to really fully put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to tell you this. The reason you're here today was not because you thought it might be a good idea. The reason you're here today is because God values you so much that he put the desire in your heart to be here because God's drawing you because he wants you to be his as well. I am valued. In the book of Revelation, the, the Apostle John gets an insight into heaven. And there's a scene he describes in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And here's what he says. He says, I looked again and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there. We, we get this bit. Everyone was there. All nations and tribes, all races and languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb, and heartily singing, salvation to our God on His throne, salvation to the Lamb. When John describes heaven, he sees people there from every nation, from every race, from every background. And here's the thing, in the kingdom of God and in the family of God, no one is inferior. No one is lesser for any reason whatever. Why? Because our standing is who we are in Christ. We're all of equal value to God. I am a son of God. I am clothed with Christ. I am valued. And here's, here's the final bit I'm picking out of these verses. I am an heir. Everything God has is mine. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. Also, since you, also, by the way, since you are Christ's family, then you are heirs according to the covenant promises. Hey, by the way, since you belong, all his stuff is yours. Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. 
Since you are rich, what does that mean? If I'm somebody's heir, it means when they die, I get their stuff, right? And it's like, okay, good, I'm God's heir. So when God dies, I get it. But there's one major problem to that scenario, right? <laughs> yeah, God ain't going to die. But, but no, here's the, idea, here's, here's the whole concept being an heir of God, an heir of Christ. It, it, it is this. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So you know what? In the here and now, we begin to enjoy all that is God's. And if God gave Jesus to die for us, won't he give us all things? That's the here and now. And then in the future, 1 Peter 1 verse 3 tells us this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So here and now, God's not going to withhold anything from me. But kept in heaven for me, there are all kinds of treasures that I never imagined and never dreamed of. Listen, when you put your faith in Jesus, there are no gaps you need to fill in. There's nothing you can add to it. The sacrifice of Christ at Calvary, his death on the cross is enough to cover our sin and to open the gateway to eternal life. So that means here and now, today, I can say, I am a son of God. I am clothed with Christ. I am valued. And I am an heir. Celebrate who you are and live with your head held high thanking God for his amazing grace amen let's pray together and as, as we come to pray together just now I just want to I, I want to take a moment because it might be that here in, in house or watching wherever you might be it might be that where you are, you, you really haven't entered into this relationship with Jesus where you know that you are a child of God. And you know, this Sunday morning, you could do what I did nearly 60 years ago and trust what Jesus said in John 1 to all who receive to all who receive him, he will give the right to become the sons of God. Today's a great day to open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Come into my life. 
forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me your child. And if you will do that in this moment, in a moment of time, a miracle takes place where you become a child of God. You become clothed with Christ. You become especially valued. And you become an heir of God. Don't you take a moment just to do that. Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Father, thank you for hearing prayers today. Thank you for your incredible grace. For all that has been so freely given to us. Our God, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Now, if you pray to commit your life to Christ today, I want to encourage you, if you go to our website, genesisli.com, you'll find a link there that says, I said yes. And if you said yes to Christ being your Savior today, I just want to invite you to fill in a little form that's there so that we can send you a book that's going to help you on the journey of building relationship with Jesus, okay? Or if you're here in the house, if you want to, there's, um, there are QR codes on the backs of some of the seats in front of you, and the right-hand QR code, if you scan that, will take you direct to that place. God doesn't want us to live in uncertainty and fear. God wants us to live in total assurance. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand and let's join the band with this closing song. Thank mm-hmm. you.